House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. And welcome to Capital Ideas. If you've been here before, welcome back. This is the podcast where members of the Majority Democratic Caucus in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol to talk about ideas. Today's guest is State Representative Beth Dolio, and we're talking mostly about climate change and the environment. These are things that Beth has devoted much of her life to, and she has plenty to say. But first, a quick bio. Beth represents the 22nd Legislative District, which covers the bulk of Thurston County and includes the key cities of Lacey, Tumwater, and Olympia, the state capital, as well as the ancestral grounds of the Nisqually, Squaxin, and Chehalis. She's midway through her second two-year term in the House, and before becoming a lawmaker, she worked in the public, private, and nonprofit sectors on a range of issues, including reproductive rights and, of course, the climate. We talked a little while back, and here's how it went. Welcome, Beth Dolio. I really appreciate you joining Capital Ideas today. It's nice to be here. Thanks, Dan. One of the things that you identified the most closely with is your concern about the climate and climate change leaving something for our future generations to actually live in. As we record this today, um, less than, I think, 24 hours ago, the United Nations released a report that basically said we're in some pretty deep stuff. So this is an international situation. It's a national situation. And at the state level, you've been working pretty hard to at least affect changes that are possible at this level. Can you describe what went on in the 2019 session that you can point to as maybe being victories? Yeah, we had a really good session in 2019. The governor's staff worked with the caucuses to develop an agenda that really put us on track to meet our greenhouse gas emission reduction goals that are in statute. So we took it sector by sector, starting with the electric sector, we established a mandate to be 100% clean by 2045 in our electric sector. And of course, electricity really underpins a lot of the other changes that we need to make, particularly in transportation. As we electrify and move towards zero emission transportation, having a clean electric grid really will make a difference in our ability to bring down our emissions in the transportation sector as well. We also did my bill, 1257, uh, emissions performance standard for existing commercial buildings over 50,000 square feet. So those are the buildings that are emitting the most in terms of electric and heat and all of the energy that it takes to run the built environment. Very few policies actually address the issue of existing buildings. A lot of the policies in that space look at building more efficiently in terms of new buildings, but this policy was one of the first in the nation to really look at existing buildings and say, by date certain, in this case 2026, we are going to ask our buildings that are over 50,000 square feet to meet a certain efficiency level. So that's a job creator right there, jobs that can't be outsourced. 
We'll be putting people to work retrofitting our buildings and the state will help provide funds for buildings that are super out of whack in terms of their efficiency to actually go in and make the necessary adjustments to meet that performance emission standard. We also banned hydrofluorocarbons, which is a really, really nasty greenhouse gas that's mostly in refrigerants. And then we also did some work in our transportation sector, in the House Bill 2042, that helps to incentivize the transition to electrification in our transportation sector or moving towards zero emission vehicles in our transportation sector. So we did a lot in each of the sectors. We still have some work to do. We did not get a clean fuel standard across the finish line last year, but we're certainly coming back ready to go in 2020, working to move that through the Senate and to the governor's desk as quickly as we can. Super important bill to really, really drive home the transition in our transportation sector, which makes up about 50% of uh, Washington state's emission portfolio. So really need to move that policy forward this year. In addition to that, what other kinds of environmental slash climate bills are you looking at or that you're at least aware other people are working on as as part of a coordinated push? In addition to clean fuel in the transportation sector, we're also looking at a zero emission vehicle bill, a ZEV bill as it's referred to, which would require car dealers to have a certain level, a certain number of zero emission vehicles on the floor. So it's actually something I get quite a bit of email on, people saying I go to a car dealership and I'm not able to find the car that I want. I know it's available. I've done my research. It's in California (laughs) and um, really want it here. So that's a bill that I uh, think will hopefully move this year as well. There's also a bill that provides an alternative financing mechanism for commercial building owners to finance massive energy efficiency projects in their building. It's called PACE or C-PACER, so Commercial uh, Property Assessed Commercial Energy and Resiliency. The R is about helping retrofit for earthquake resiliency as well. So that's also a policy that I'm hoping to see get across the finish line this year. And then I've done quite a bit of work on embodied carbon. It's fairly new here in the United States concept that's really built a lot of momentum over the last couple of years, mostly in the private sector, frankly. The concept is, is that there's a carbon loophole in the way that we account for our emissions when we're not looking at the carbon that we emit to manufacture things like steel, concrete, glass, wood, that kind of thing, especially if those products are made overseas. We're not accounting for that in our emissions. And so there's been a lot of work within the architectural world, the building world, to kind of look at that as we're building, I think we're building like a city of New York, the size of New York every 30 days. And so trying to figure out how we bring down our emissions in those super high processes to make steel and to make concrete is a very important element of really getting a handle on our emissions over time. I have a bill, it's called the Buy Clean Bill, that I will be introducing this session that really incentivizes for our public buildings purchasing materials, steel, concrete, masonry, wood, that have a lower carbon intensity. 
So we're hopeful that the public market will help to drive emission reduction investments within those industries. There's a lot of work in the private sector right now. Microsoft and their campus that they're building are really taking a deep dive in trying to purchase less carbon intense structural building materials to build their campus. And uh, we're a hub here with the Carbon Leadership Forum at the UW. A lot of expertise in the embodied carbon world. It's a little bit wonky, but basically we're just trying to reduce our emissions. And part of that will be buying more local. Why would we bring in steel, which is going to have a higher greenhouse gas content just based on transportation? It takes more fuel to bring that over here. So let's invest in our companies here. Even if we have to spend a little bit more, we want to encourage people to buy locally. And this is, a, is an opportunity to do that. If you walked out on the street right now and asked 10 people, what's the future? It would, your answers would range, I'm sure, from wild optimism to, to a real bleak outlook, depending on who that person was. As somebody who's pretty deeply enmeshed in this question, what is your personal feeling about <laughs> the future? I think to do this work, I have to adopt an optimistic view of the future. I'm naturally a very optimistic person. I wholly believe that we are capable of creating a future that is sustainable, that is better than the world that we have right now, that we are capable as humans in creating a world that is free of fossil fuel and other pollutants and is sustainable and we have a very high quality of life. I, I don't think I could do this work without that sort of optimism. On the other hand, it's clear from a policy perspective we are not moving fast enough to make that optimism come to reality. We need to be moving much more quickly. We are in a crisis and we should be acting more like we're in a crisis. But I still feel like we have time and we have innovation at our fingertips and we have the drive. And I believe we have a bigger understanding and awareness of what we need to do to make sure that we are thinking about the seventh generation and we're thinking about our kids and our kids' kids when we're making policy in this space. And I have to remain optimistic or I think I'd go home and bury my head in my pillow and not get up and do this work every day. Well, I'm glad that you are getting up and doing it every day. Let me talk, since you mentioned children, the legislature is, is not eager to dictate curriculum to public school teachers, but I wonder what's being taught to young people in science classes right now about the condition of the environment and the likelihood of the planet becoming a cinder at some point if we don't do something mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Young people are leading this charge in a lot of ways, but I don't know where they're getting their information. What, what is being taught in Washington public schools? We did put some money into the, the ESDs to assist with climate education curriculum. It was a major push from our governor in particular uh, and educators who recognize that we need more resources in this space. So there are definitely resources available from the ESD to help educators think about how to talk about climate change and how to teach climate change and how to do that in a way that helps our, our kids understand what's at stake. 
and how they can be part of the solution. Going back to um, the the broader question that you asked around other things, there's a lot of, of work in the environmental space around reducing our waste. China stopped taking our recycling. We were like, oh my God, why were we sending our recycling to China anyway? Shouldn't we be taking taking responsibility for our waste and finding new income streams to take that waste and make new products from it and create more jobs. Again, it's all back to jobs. It's, you know, so what an opportunity, right? That's a place where my optimism kicks in. There'll be another number of bills. Hopefully we'll ban the plastic bags across the state this year. I believe 36 jurisdictions locally have done that. And frankly, the grocers are saying we need a statewide policy on this so that it's not so confusing across the state. We'll be working on looking at those single-use plastics, those utensils and plates and that sort of thing. And it's very complicated. It's not just going to happen overnight, but certainly we need to move in that direction of figuring out how we can either not produce those things or actually move them into a composting stream or what and what does that look like i mean we need to compost but there's problems with composting in terms of what composting facilities can take and where they're located and all that sort of thing so but lots of opportunity to make change and to create systems that are more sustainable for our kids future in addition to trying to save the world you also are elected to serve the 100 and 60,000 or so constituents who live in the 22nd Legislative District. Mm -hmm. What kind of things are you hearing from your constituents that they want you to deal with in the 2020 legislative session that begins on January 13th? Probably the biggest issue is housing. It is a very acute problem in our community, and I have some policies in that space that I intend to be working on. Um, we did put a record $175 million into the Housing Trust Fund. That is long-term solutions to build new supportive housing for people who are living unsheltered right now. But that takes time, and it's not enough. So we'll be coming back and continuing to work on addressing that issue and finding new monies. My bill actually offers local jurisdictions the option to increase taxes slightly to pay for new housing projects as well as behavioral health. I feel like we're in a crisis and local governments ought to be able to respond. We elect them to respond and they ought to be able to respond quickly to the situation. And so that's a bill, 1590, that I'll be working on. And I'll be also working to try and drive as much funding into housing as possible, along with looking at the entire housing advocacy agenda, working to move as much as we can in that space. Super important. And then there's other issues like annexation, uh, working with Lacey and Thurston County on an annexation bill. How do we most efficiently get services to our citizens and the residents in our communities? And sometimes we need to find new ways to think about annexing. So I have some work that I'm doing in the annexation space. We did the 911 last year. So that was something that I worked with Senator Hunt on. We needed a new emergency responder system and the voters definitely agreed. Uh, that was on the ballot in Thurston County and it passed overwhelmingly. But the, the legislature has to pass enabling legislation in order for that to go to the ballot. And uh, Senator Hutt and I worked very hard to bring that bill to fruition and uh, glad to see that the voters agreed with us that that was an important thing for 
them to put a little a little change into to have a community response to replace our 911 system. There's some transportation issues. The transportation package in 2015, before my time, made it all the way down to Mounts Road on I-5, and we're going to, in terms of trying to alleviate that congestion, and we're going to see a little bit of a bottleneck there once all those projects are done. And so we want to be ready for the next transportation package, and we've got a study that we're looking at to figure out how we're going to move forward with that I-5 corridor so that we're not, like, stuck all at, Mount Ro- at Mounts Road and getting through JBLM and that sort of thing. So that's another issue I work hard on for the district. So those are a couple of things. I love my constituents and always love to hear from them because I'm only as good of a legislator and as good of a representative as my constituents help me be. And that means that I need to hear as much as possible from what's going on out in the district so that I can respond to that and go to bat for my constituents every day I'm here, every day of the year. I love how people talk about this as a part-time legislature. (laughs) I don't know a single lawmaker who actually works at this as a part-time job. Even the ones who have full-time jobs somewhere else, Mm -hmm. they just have two full-time jobs is the way it tends to work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's an absolute honor and privilege to be able to do this. Well, Representative Beth Dolio of the 22nd Legislative District, I really do thank you for coming to Capital Ideas today. I want to check back with you before too much time has gone by to find out how things worked out just in the next few months, because it's going to be a busy, crucial, and eventful 60-day session. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. Thanks. Thank you. There you go. You've been listening to Capital Ideas. If you feel like the last 15 minutes were time well spent, Why not subscribe to Capital Ideas on iTunes Podcasts, on SoundCloud, or whatever platform you prefer. What we talk about here is your state government. What happens here matters a lot, and the more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening.